So we're going to get into the second part of our message series today, What Am I Here For? And of course, last week we opened up really talking a lot about how God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan in the way that he's created you. It's very specific. Uh, God has sorted out all of the details in the way that he created you to be you. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's important that we first recognize in the word of God this truth that we get this revelation that you know what I'm not just here for some mundane or just to exist like there's a specific reason a a call that God has placed upon my life and it's from him and him alone the creator of heaven and earth and we went through a number of scriptures last week to help us to see that God had this plan in mind for us before, he ever, before we were ever even born. And that this plan is a part of the way we live, the times that we live in. The Bible said about David, it said that he, when he had served the purposes of God in his generation, then he died. This is so amazing to think about. Another place in the Bible, it says that God is actually pre-appointed or pre-ordained the boundaries and dwellings of men, meaning the times and the eras and the seasons. So the years that we live in, the surroundings that we are a part of now in the world, like this is all a part of what God has created us to accomplish his work here on earth through. And when we see that, when we recognize that, it should change us, it should compel us to just really make this decision that we're going to live for Christ and for Christ alone. That there's no other path, no other track that we could go down that we'll, that we'll do anymore. Because the God of heaven created us for a purpose and to live away from that purpose would be a violation of the very way that God has created us to live. And so there's this desire, this drive in us that says, okay, I'm ready to put to death all other options. Are you with me? You know, Joshua, when he was leading the people of Israel and it was time to go into the promised land, he made this awesome statement in, in the ch- chapter of uh, Joshua chapter 24. He said, look, you guys can do, every one of you can do what you want to do. You can serve whatever gods you want to serve. You can do whatever you choose. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love this scripture. We've got a sign that has that up in our house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can I tell you something? We all need to have a Joshua 24, 15 moment in our lives. We all need to have a Joshua 24 moment where we say, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I've made a decision that God, I am not going to live for any other purpose than the purpose for which you've created me for. And the Bible speaks in many places about we're to seek first the kingdom of God, that he is to be the first priority. It doesn't say that he's to compete, that other things in our life should compete with that. It tells us that we are to put his purpose and his plan for our life in, in the very first priority, and then that should drive everything else that we do. seeking God, knowing God, living for God, it's not a weekend hobby. It's not an extracurricular activity. 
It's not something else that we do on top of everything else that we do. It is the main thing that should drive everything else that we do. And I think a lot of times we get this off, and even if, we are, if we're honest, it, it's an easy place to slip into, where our walk of faith, our growth with God, it, it becomes kind of something that we try to fit in, something that we try to add to all the other things that we have going on. And the challenge is, is when that's the way that we approach it, we'll never get everything there is to get out of this search and this walk. And so today is about seeking. It is about pursuing the vision, the purpose that God has for your life. We have discovered the revelation that yes, this purpose exists. We are created this way. And now we need to begin to seek and to pursue that. And the search is critical. The pursuit is paramount. The Bible speaks of vision and purpose so many different places. One of the things it says in the book of Proverbs, it says that without vision, people perish. It's the book of Proverbs chapter 29. It says without vision, people perish. Another version, it says that without vision or revelation, people cast off restraint meaning they become directionless. They become not aimed in the direction of where God has actually created them to go. We need vision from God. We need to seek the purpose for which He's created us for so that it brings a direction, it brings a vision to our lives to which we move forward in. Another place it says that God has ordered the steps of a man, so how then can a man know his own way? So we are, God has actually created it, established it to where he has this vision and this purpose for our lives, but he's designed us to need to seek him for that, to pursue him for that so that we begin to gain understanding about the things for which he's created us for and to do. It says in uh, the book of Ezekiel, listen to this. Uh, chapter 37, verse 14. God's speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. And he says, he's prophesying about a time that will come once the Messiah comes to earth. And he says, when that happens, I will take my spirit and I will put my spirit in you. So this is powerful because once Christ completed the work that he came to do on the cross and then he went back to be at the right hand of the Father in heaven, the next step or the next plan of God's d design was to pour out his Holy Spirit and those who would have faith in Christ, would, the, the Holy Spirit would come to live on the inside of us. And this is so important because as we're going to see and understand today that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that lives in us as believers is the messenger of truth, is the revealer of all things to which God has created us for. He is the one that we seek to hear from, to understand the things which God is wanting to show us. And I love this because God wants to show us these things. 
He's, he's created. He says, seek and you will find. Right? He, he intends to reveal and to uncover and to show us these great things which he's prepared ahead of time for us to walk in. Another uh, ver- verses in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. It says, call, God says to the prophet, he says, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So God wants to be pursued. He wants us to seek him. And as we do, he fully intends on revealing, uncovering, and showing us much of these great things to which he's created us for. But he, he says in the book of Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. So the spirit of God comes to live on the inside of us. This is an absolute miracle. The, think about this for just a second. It, it says in another place that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you. Wow. So if you, if you grasp that, what you, what you grasp is that the full power and nature of God actually lives on the inside of us who have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. There's not a diminished form of the Holy Spirit than any of us get. It's not like you can look around the room today and say, ooh, he got a little bit more of the Holy Spirit than I did. Ooh, she got the extra dose. She got the heavy dose on top of the normal dose. No, because the Bible also says in the book of John chapter 3, verse 34, God doesn't give the Spirit by measure. Why is that important? Because that means the full capacity and power of God to fulfill and accomplish all that he's calling and created you to do lives right on the inside of you. And it's a person. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the person of God that he wants us to seek him. He wants us to know him. And he wants to show us great and mighty things which we do not presently know or peer into yet. And it's part of the seeking that we begin to find what God has and that's out in front of us. Amen? So it's the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in us, which is the messenger of the truth that we seek. Now, this next verse, verses that I'm going to read along with you, for me are some of the most powerful and just enlightening verses around this truth that the Holy Spirit lives in us and it's the only way we can know how God has created us and what he's created us for and that he's calling us to seek him and pursue him. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them. And go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 9 through 14. Now listen to this. It says, As it is written, 
Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So pause right there for just a second. There is no ability in our natural mind or in any part of us other than in the spirit of God that dwells in us to know and understand that which God has created us for. It says that it's never entered your heart, your mind. You never had a thought, anything in the natural part of you that would ever give you an indication or a glimpse into the heavenly things, the spiritual things to which God has created you for. It's, it's only by the Spirit of God that these things can be known. This is important because a lot of times when people begin to walk with God and they come into their faith in the beginning of their walk, um, they have a hard time getting past their brain. They, they want to understand the things of God first with their mind which is understandable because it's how we function in the world in a lot of things that we do. We look at it, we think about it, and you know, and so they, but they have a hard time understanding that your mind is not the first entry point for the things and the plans of God that He wants to show you and that He's created you for. So let's read on. It says in verse 10 For God has revealed them to us. Through his spirit, the spirit searches all things. Now, this is the Holy Spirit. When it's a capital S, you know that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. If it's a lowercase s, he's referring to our spirit. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So he's, he's basically saying, I'm going to kind of paraphrase this a little bit, but Hey, nobody can really know what you're thinking in your mind except for you because nobody's in your head. So only the spirit of a man can know what's in the man. Only I really know what's going on up here, even though my wife might disagree with that. Like, I know what you're thinking. Whoa, you do? I better, I better, be, I better be concerned about that. Okay. But it says, no one can know the, the heart of a man except the man. And then it says, no one can know the things of God except the Spirit of God which is in us. Only he has that understanding. Only he has that knowledge to give. It's not up here to be tapped. You get that, right? And so we've got to get past this point of thinking we can ever intellectualize or, or reason our way into understanding God's truth. It's not the case. There's much actually danger in thinking and in the early days of the church they ran into these periods of what's called Gnosticism which was that they began to think that some were more enlightened in their mind and that's how they got closer to God was through some amazing kind of understanding it was actually part of the reason they ran into challenges with those who were Gentiles in some ways the Greek philosophers because it says that the message of the cross was foolishness to them they were wise and astute philosophers of their day. So they thought there had to be some further state of enlightenment intellectually that they could grasp that would help them to somehow understand more of the things of God and that most people would never be able to get there. And he's saying that's not the way that this works. It happens in the spirit of the man. It's the spirit of God that's revealing them to us. 
And in a lot of ways, frankly, if I'm just say this as a side point, but this, the issue of Gnosticism and enlightenment in the early couple hundred centuries of the New Testament church, it, it doesn't seem so different than the age of intellectualism I think that we find ourselves in right now. Where, you know, to be educated, and it's a great thing, but just we have a way of taking things too far, is somehow that when we become enlightened enough, then all of a sudden those enlightened people are really the ones, the authority of what things are and how things are, are to work. And so there's obviously a danger in that. In verse 12, it says, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Do you see that? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. We've received the Spirit of God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Powerful. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And listen to this. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I encourage you to read those verses in several different translations and really meditate on them and let that sink in. But basically what we get out of all of that is that it's in the spirit of the man, the inner man it refers to in other places, where revelation, vision from God, purpose for our lives is really being given to us. The rest of us, our mind and faculties and all of that, really begin to catch up and align later with what's happening on the deepest part of us in that inner man. And so we have to know where this is ha where this occurs, where this spiritual activity of God giving vision and, and, and revealing purpose to us for our lives is happening. I know one of my favorite places to go to eat is Jay Fires here in town. And Jen, she does a great job running that restaurant. She comes to church here uh, and just love going there. And the food is just amazing. It comes out and whenever the server brings the plate and they set it down in front of you, it always looks amazing and it tastes even better. Everything there is just fantastic. But just thinking about this, you know, it's, it's really in the kitchen where the magic happens. I mean, I've had the privilege of kind of walking up to the door and looking back in there when Jen's doing her thing and she's going at it and she's focused and you see all that's happening behind the glass doors. And it just struck me that, you know, what I see on my plate, what I enjoy when I eat it, I'm loving that part of it, but it's really in the kitchen where the cooking is happening. And so... When we think about God giving vision and purpose to our lives, I think we need to recognize it's really in the spirit of the man where the vision is being given. That's where the things are stirring. That's where the things are happening. And that's where the activity needs to be occurring on a regular basis so that things that flow out of there are a reflection of what's actually already been happening on the inside. 
Are you with me? So we seek the vision from God who gives it to us by his spirit in our spirit. Another, verse, another translation of that which says that doesn't, the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit says the natural man doesn't even have access to that. The mind doesn't even have access to that if, it doesn't re, if God doesn't reveal them to us in our spirit first. And so we seek vision. Now we touched on a verse last week in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 that speaks about how God has vision and purpose for our lives. So let's put that up there for just a second. Revisit that. And it says, For I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Right? This is God saying, look, I have a purpose for your life. I've created you with vision in mind for great things. Now listen to these verses just after this. Go to verse 12. It says, and then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, your whole heart, every part of you, passionately pursuing me above everything else. Now, this is one of those verses that sounds great, but can I be frank? This is painful for a lot of people. We hear that. We get excited. Yeah, that sounds great. God's going to speak to me. He's going to reveal vision to me. He's, I'm going to seek him, and then I'm going to find him. He's promising us that right there in these verses. But he's saying something right there at the end. He's saying, when you seek me with your whole heart, when you seek me with every part of you, not like a little bit, casually it's kind of another thing that you're maybe doing that's just as important or equally important as everything else that you're doing that's not the way you get there and this is sometimes painful for us because we want what God has for us we want to peer into the destiny that he's created us for but we've got a lot of the world going on in our lives and we're just it's going to be really hard and painful to actually start seeking God and his plan for us more than everything else that's happening in our lives. But can I tell you something? We have to cross that threshold. We have to make that shift where God becomes the primary objective and pursuit of our heart and everything else is just follow, falling in after that. That's what he means when he says that. So he says, so if you want to seek and find, if you want to know that which I've created for, okay, you have to seek me with your whole heart. Folks, a casual approach to God will never get us there. It has to be the first priority in our lives. But praise God, he says, when you seek that way, you will find me. And this is what I have found find and found this is what I have found is that when you do start to find God when you start to peer into these things it consumes you I mean it becomes the reason that you want to live it becomes the thing to which you want to devote your life to once you taste it once you experience it it gets a hold of you in a way that simply nothing else will satiate or satisfy your spiritual hunger and appetite any longer and you have to have that which is going to nourish you amen we we had this one night a while back i don't know a couple years ago um and it actually just snowed nothing like this it was just a dusting you know eight inches and um 
It was a couple inches. And it was kind of late at night. Katie and I were still up. And the kids had been in bed for a few hours. And uh, we were getting ready to turn out for the night. And for whatever reason, I said, I'm just going to run up and check on them, you know, make sure they're all good. Because they had a tendency sometimes to get up and get out of their beds and play in the middle of the night, you know, three o'clock in the morning. Like, what are they doing? So we would check on. So I go up there. It had just snowed a couple inches. And I don't, it's probably like 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And go in one room at a time and another room and another room and another room, you know, because there's a lot of them. And all of a sudden, we see that two of the kids are gone. They're missing. They're not in their bed. At first, you know, I didn't freak out or nothing. This is, okay, they're probably playing somewhere. So, but I didn't see them. And so then I went back in every room and I kind of looked in the beds again, just to make sure I didn't miss them, looked under the beds, you know, and went through every room and again, nothing. So then I went downstairs and I kind of combed through the house. I'm getting a little worked up now all of a sudden at this point. I mean, the, the, it, was, it was Alyssa and Evie, which at the time, Evie was probably five and Alyssa was probably seven. And I look around the house and I still, I can't find them. And now all of a sudden, the passion and the motivation for my pursuit has just changed. There is nothing else that's going to stop me from finding them now. And I go in and I get Katie. I said, Katie, the, the, Alyssa and Evie, they're missing. She's like, what do you mean they're missing? I'm like, they're missing. Um, I've been through the house. So we go back through, you know, do the whole same thing. Can't find them. This goes on for like 20 minutes. Now, I'm telling you, you talk about praying. You talk about crying out to God. I mean, I went outside and I, try, I looked in the snow for tracks to see, did they go outside? Um, and then the dog had tracks going everywhere. So I, I wasn't sure, you know, that was all messed up. So I ran around, I'm yelling outside. I kind of run down to the woods and yell. I've got the flashlight. I come back in. Katie still hasn't found them. I mean, you know, we're at this, we're at that point, right? And we're just praying, God, please. We wake up all the other kids in the house. You guys, we got to find Alyssa and Evie. And then as we're looking, all of a sudden we see them standing in the end of the hallway, like scared to death, like, sorry, <laughs> sorry. First of all, come here. Now, what do you mean by sorry? You know, where were you? They're like, well, we got out and we were playing and then we saw that you were looking for us and we were scared that we were going to get in trouble, so we hid. <laughs> and they went downstairs and they hid back in the, by the storage shelves behind some of the furniture and we just never, we must have walked by them half a dozen times and their little eyeballs were probably just sticking in that, staring out at us and not moving, you know. So they're going to be good, like, secret agents. But my point is, is that we reached a state where it was determined in us that there was nothing that was going to interrupt that pursuit until we found what we were looking for. Until we found what we were looking for. Can I suggest to you that that is the approach that we would be taking, that we need to be taking in our pursuit of God? You know, look, there's going to be times, I'm, I'm telling you this as your pastor, there are going to be times in your life where it's going to feel dry. There are going to be times in your spiritual walk where you're going to feel like God's really close and there's going to be other times when you're crying out and you feel like you're just not hearing as clearly from the Lord as, as you need to be. It, it, it's not all at the top of the mountain. You know, there's peaks and valleys. And, and, and part of our test is 
how we will pursue God through every season and through every phase that we live through. And when we reach those points where we're unsure or we're not quite aware of what's going on, the best thing for us to do is to pursue even harder, is to seek even more. The Bible says in the book of James, it says that the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, avails much. It means that when things get tough and things get hard, the prayer intensifies. The prayer increases to combat the challenge to which we face. And this is the way we must seek and we must pursue God in that which he has for us. Folks, listen, I, I say this with your heart and your soul and your faith walk in, in complete mind here, that if you approach God and his plan for your life casually, you will never step into the great things that God has for you. He must become the primary pursuit to which you live for. But praise God that when we seek that way, we will find. Ask and you will receive. Knock and it shall be open. That's the other side of the equation that God promises us. You know, we see the same picture in the life of Moses. There's this, I think, in my opinion, that the, the way that Moses interacted with God is much of a foreshadow, kind of a picture of the life that God really has created us to live with and the way he uh, gives us through his Holy Spirit after Christ did the work that he did. Let me, let me explain. Uh, Moses was called many times to go up onto the mountain and just be with God. It says, come up onto the mountain and be with me, he would say. And Moses would go up onto the mountain and then he would step into the glory cloud, which is the manifest presence of God that now we know the presence of God is here with us all the time by the Holy Spirit in us. He says, come up here onto the mountain and be with me. And Moses would be up there for as many days as he needed to be up there. Moses didn't start out the journey and say, all right, God, I'm going to come up there, but man, I'm telling you, like by Saturday, I got to get back down here. I got a lot going on. The people are going to get restless. No, Moses went up there and his, his intent was, I'll be up there until I find what I'm looking for. Till God gives me that which he's calling me up there to receive. If it's one day, it's one day. If it's 40 days, it's 40 days. But I'm seeking God and I'm not moving from that place until he gives me that which I'm looking for and he wants to give me. You see, God did the miracle part up on top of the mountain. The cloud of glory, the revelation, it was all by God. It had nothing to do with Moses, but Moses had to get himself up there. Moses had to get himself up on top of the mountain. But once he got what he was looking for, once God gave him what he wanted to give him, Moses came down the mountain and he began to deal with the things in life that he needed to deal with. Do you understand that? That's why I say like we, there's these different ebbs and flows to our life and God's calling us to great works and great things, but we have to spend time on top of the mountain seeking him and receiving from him. So, so the Bible says that the wisdom of God that we should, that it flows into us and it affects all matters pertaining to our lives, meaning it flows out of us into all the things that we deal with. You want to be a great 
parent, a great husband or a great wife, a great in your career, use your gifts, all those things, the things of God have to flow out of you into those things and touch those things in order for them to be what God has created them to be. Hallelujah. We know last week when we read in the book of Psalms, it said that when God made us, he made us in secret, which means to be hidden from a place that wasn't visible by anyone or anything else. And then Jesus says something in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, that connects with this verse that is incredibly powerful. Let's read this. It says in Matthew 6, 6, he says, When you pray, go into your room and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. It speaks about this time with God as the secret place. We were created in the secret place and we have to get into the secret place. We learn about those things which were done in secret when we meet with him in the secret place. Now really, this doesn't necessarily mean a literal go into a room somewhere that's shut off from everything in your house and call that the secret place. You can get, I, it, it doesn't mean that literally, but figuratively it does. In the sense that we have to be shut off from everything else of the world that would interrupt or distract us. Now, it very well could be a room in your house. Don't misunderstand me. That's a great thing. I know people that have prayer rooms, and I think that's awesome because the idea is that you figure out for you how to get into the place with God on a regular basis that's shut off, closed off from all of the distractions and interruptions in the world so that you can, just like Moses, just be with God. And you can just receive in secret what he wants to do. And then we see what it says, that those who come and pray in the secret place, that God will reward you openly. So there is always treasure that results from the mining that we do. There is always outward implications and things that are happening in our lives outwardly that are a result of that which we've done in secret with God in that secret place. Are you with me? But I think where much of the challenge lies for us today, especially in the information world that we live in, is that there's just so much noise. I think it has become perhaps more difficult than any other time in history to achieve this to cut off, to get away from and close off all of the things in the world that are competing and vying for our attention. And by default, without really recognizing it, we do, in fact, become very casual in our approach with God. We squeeze Him in. We fit it in where we can. And ultimately, what's really happening is that God is actually just kind of getting our leftovers. And that's not what he's looking for. That's not the way he's saying, this is how you are to seek me. And if we're really honest, I think that when we examine all the things that we allow to pull at our energy, at our time, at our thoughts, at our heart, if we really 
appraise those things, I think many times going through an exercise of appraising how much value those things have, I think a lot of times we recognize that there really isn't that much value in a lot of that stuff to begin with. But somehow, because we are not focused on making sure that we get into this place with God, we unintentionally become invested in the pursuit of more. And then things just begin to clutter our lives. But if we'll take appraisal and inventory of that which is getting our devotion and getting our heart and really determine where the value lies and set aside the things that don't hold any spiritual value and really esteem the value to the things that do and become intentional about engaging in those things, I believe we will absolutely begin to see that which God is calling us to. Seek with your whole heart and you will find. And for many people, just getting to a place where we seek like this is a threshold that they have to cross. To understanding God isn't a casual part of our lives. He is meant to fit in a place that is actually surrounding everything that we do. Anybody here with me today? You know, no, it's never been said by anyone ever, I accidentally got into shape. You know, something funny happened. Um, I was just living my life, and all of a sudden, when you know, I just got into shape. I got really fit, just, act, just like that, accidentally, just happened. Right? I mean, you have to be very intentional about getting into shape and being healthy. I mean, you don't get a body like this from just, you know, not doing anything. <laughs> Kidding. You have to be intentional about it because it requires pursuit, it requires focus, it requires effort, and it requires endurance. You have to continue doing it or you'll slip right back out of that place that you've grown into. And our spiritual walk is very similar in that way. We're not going to accidentally start to peer into the things of God. We're not gonna accidentally start to grow in our walk of faith. We're going to have to devote and invest ourselves intentionally in the way that God is calling us to where it's the first priority. And then as we do, we begin to develop endurance in that. We begin to actually develop that as like a spiritual discipline and a spiritual lifestyle that we are about. Like health is a lifestyle. It's not a goal. It's a lifestyle. Those that really live healthy lives will tell you that. It's a lifestyle, meaning you think about it wherever you go and whatever you do. You're making choices and decisions based upon the fact that this is a lifestyle for you. Your spiritual life, if your health is supposed to be that way, God said bodily exercise is profitable, but godliness is much more profitable. So our spiritual exercise, if we would treat physical exercise that way, why wouldn't we treat spiritual exercise that way, right? So we have to invest ourselves, folks, in a way where this is really the pursuit that we are on. And to trust and know that as God reveals his plans to us and reveals these things to us, then we begin to grow in, in, in understanding, in wisdom, and in faith. And, and we will see these things that he's prepared for us, that he's created us for, begin to come to pass. Amen? So we have to be essentially, or we have to be rigorous 
about not allowing distractions to take us off course of that which is actually most profitable for us. And if, if we spend time with God in that secret place, getting there, nothing else is interrupting, nothing else is pulling away, and we begin to hear the whisper of God, the voice of God, He begins to pour into us. Can I tell you something? When you're living your life outwardly and you're doing the things God has called you to do in the midst of busyness, his voice is able to be picked out in the chaos and in the noise so much better. But it's very difficult to hear God in the busyness if we haven't first spent time with him in quiet. I know whenever we're in a busy place, let's go back to the story in the store at the beginning of the service, right? Chaos is everywhere. You know, there's people's voices and noises and all these things are echoing in your ears. But when one of my kids begins to yell or scream, I can pick that noise. It's like there's something in my head that just jumps when I hear one of my kids in the midst of noise especially if it's that cry like something is wrong daddy come help me there's maybe dozens or hundreds of kids yelling and crying people talking noises over the intercom but if one of my kids starts to scream from aisles down the store my ear is trained and gets in tune and recognizes that but I would just say to you if we weren't spending all the time that we spend together at home outside of all of that noise, hearing each other's voices, spending intimate time together, my ear would not be as keenly trained to the sound of that voice to be able to pick it out in the midst of the chaos whenever it happens. It's in those moments of really devoting ourselves quiet in quiet time, uninterrupted, undistracted with God, that we build the sensitivity and the familiarity to the leading and the guiding of his voice that when we are living our lives in the midst of things God's calling us to do, that we can recognize the gentle promptings along the way from the Lord. And we need that just the same as we need the direction that he gives us when he reveals things to us in the quiet place and in the secret place. Are you with me? And so let me close with this. I think in a lot of ways that some of the, the spiritual disciplines, if you will, that we can develop, that we should develop in order to allow this to become a lifestyle for us uh, have been lost in the world of busyness that we live in, maybe even unknowingly. But the Bible speaks about things and calls us to things like, take fasting, for example, Okay, fasting is a way that we can draw close to God, that we can spend intimate time with him. And Jesus even said, he said, when you fast, not if you fast. So take whatever, if it's a day or if it's three days or, or however long and, and you're fasting. And there's different ways to do that. Some people just fast, you know, certain types of foods or whatever. But here's the, here's the point in it. Prayer connects you with God. Fasting disconnects you from the world. 
Did you hear that? So many of the things that are not natural for us to do in the flesh, we do them because it quiets the flesh. It quiets the noise and allows us to really press in with God in a deeper way. Other things like solitude, time with God alone, going away and just having, you know, things like that that men of God and and the people in the Bible did regularly and frequently as a part of their lifestyle. I mean, we see Jesus many times says he retreated into the wilderness for however many days to pray. And then he came back after that. It says that Daniel was a man with an excellent spirit, but we know that Daniel was a man who fasted. We know he was a man that prayed three times a day and meaning that whatever was going on in his life, like the idea of praying three times a day, you can get legalistic with that. Say, well, if you don't do it three times, you're not doing it right. That becomes legalistic. But let me just say this, that the idea of of devoting oneself to prayer three times a day in a meaningful way will absolutely grow our walk with God in the spiritual pursuit that we are on. And so it's what Daniel was doing is he was saying, look, everything's going on around me, but time out world because it's time on with God. And if I don't get that time on with God, then everything I'm doing in this world will really be of no avail because it's because of God, His power, His Spirit, that I can do any of this anyway. And if I cut off the source, if I cut off the life flow that's feeding into me from giving me what I need to do all this, then everything's just going to begin to dry up after that. And we could go down this place and this road where if we don't get the time we need with God, we can begin to, come, be, begin to grow dry. That's why the Bible speaks about language when it says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. To thirst and to hunger means to have extreme desire for. I gotta, I gotta wet that thirst that I have because I'm dry. It, 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 that's the feeling, that's the approach we have to have in seeking God and the things that he has for us. Is anybody here with me today? And as we do, God fills us and we are full and we can do that which he's calling us to do. But I think really that it's a good thing that God has set it up this way for us. That when we do grow dry, we feel it. That we do have this restlessness in our spirit. Maybe some people, they're feeling that and they, they haven't even connected that that's what's going on. But maybe they just haven't been nourished. Maybe they haven't satisfied that thirst and that hunger in a way that they're fully devoted to God, seeking Him and finding that for a long time. And so they're in this dry valley and they need to have their thirst satisfied. Let's get alone with God. Let's devote ourselves to Him and let's invest ourselves in seeking Him in the way that He's calling us to. Not casually, not as a complimentary thing along the way, but is the main thing to which everything else flows out of. Amen.